Welcome to Fearless Mom. We are so excited today to mix things up. Today, during our lecture time, we're actually gonna hear from some of our Austin Fearless Moms. You guys, our Austin audience and our online audience, you sent in some amazing questions. So I wanna make sure we have time to do that. So we're gonna barrel through them, girls, okay? We're gonna... You know, I usually have a lot of words to say, but I'm going to listen today and limit, this is my accountability. I'm gonna limit my chiming in. We'll see how that works. But first, let's go ahead and welcome in our online moms. We're so glad you're with us today. If you're watching with a group or you're listening by yourself, we're so glad that technology has connected us today. And we pray that you feel a group in Austin cheering you on. We believe in you, you can do this. And even if you're watching by yourself, we wanna remind you that you are not alone. We're with you. So let's pray and get started today. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for technology that allows us to share with so many moms. I thank you, God, for church where we can gather together, where we can seek you, your desire for our lives. I thank you for these brave moms who are willing to share their experiences today. I ask right now, God, that you settle our hearts, settle our minds, and open our eyes and ears so that we can see and hear what you want us to learn today, so that we can be the moms we were created to be. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Now, I want to give a disclaimer for everybody up here, including myself. We're not up here because we parent perfectly and because we have all the right answers. We're up here, all of us. I'm speaking for you. Are you good with that? Thank you. We're up here because we believe passionately that God in his infinite wisdom can use everything. Say everything. Everything. He can use everything. Your mistakes, your successes, your failures, your wins, your losses, the good, the bad, and the ugly. All of your experiences he can use for his glory and our good. And so they're willing to share today some insights, some experiences. And let's give them one more hand, okay, for being brave enough to be up here. That's right. Hey, you can hear all these people. They're cheering real loud because they're like, I'm so glad that's not me up there. That's right. You never know. You never know. Okay, so we're going to jump in and we're going to get started. I'm going to ask each of you just to introduce yourself, tell everybody a little bit about your marriage, your family, and um, a little bit about yourself. Sherry, we'll start with you. Hi, my name is Sherry Morrow, and uh, I'm married to Corey, and we have five children. And That's right, five children. We have a picture. Oh, that's okay, great. Um, so yeah, four boys and then one baby girl. So Bear, Waylon, Wesley Worth, and then our little girl is Daisy Diane. And I'm a Precious. stay-at-home mom. Awesome. Okay, Deanne. I am Deanne Wilson, and I'm married to Russell Wilson. Uh, we are a blended family. We've been married for 18 years. We have a 28-year-old daughter and a 21-year-old son. Amazing, Ashley. And I'm Ashley Horn. I'm married to Matt Horn. We have three children, Brayden, Logan, and Hadley. Brayden's in fifth grade, Logan's in second, and Hadley's in first. I'm Julia Fortman. I'm married to Greg. We've been married for 15 years, and we have three children, Zach, who is in sixth grade, Will in fourth grade, and the little spitfire at the end is Emmy in kindergarten. She is an awesome Spitfire. I love the Spitfires at the end. I think we all have one. Everybody has a Spitfire, a girl Spitfire. We love it. 
Okay, um, and Julia, I'm just gonna chime in because you uh, were a teacher at my kid's school. She comes from an educational background. So a lot of times, a lot of the information that we share, a lot of the statistics, that comes from Julia. So um, she adds a lot of... um, a lot of the foundation to the, the truths that we share around here. Okay, Ashley, I'm gonna start with you. I'm gonna ask a question and I'm gonna tell you the questions that the mom sent in and then we're gonna try to, you know, try to get to as many as we can. You guys sent in amazing questions. We're gonna get to as much as we can. Um, if we don't answer them today, then just know we heard them and we'll get to them this semester at some point. Okay, Ashley, how do you juggle, this is what the mom said, how do you juggle two and not lose your mind? Um, I have one, the mom said, trying for a second one, share secrets for surviving the beginning months of transitioning to two kids, or in your case, to two kids, to three kids. What were some of the things that you did to make it easier? Great question. First of all, you will lose your mind (laughs) on more than one occasion. Um, The biggest thing I think, actually I have four things. I was thinking about the losing your mind. That's just like self-care is not selfish. And so being proactive about it, okay, when you feel it like creeping up, I'm like, ooh, what can I do? I feel this creeping up today. Do I go for a run? Do I exercise? Do I take a bath? Do I make a date night? You know, just kind of being proactive about, make sure I take care of myself and do self-care as I feel it creeping up. And then I say no a lot in those beginning years. Say no to, the only thing I have to do is to keep these little people alive because everything is gonna creep up on you every day. So self-care, say no. Um, What was the other thing I was thinking? Schedule, schedule really helped me when they were little. It helped me to see what pockets of time I had where we could get things done or I could take a nap. And I had one other thing and I knew this was gonna happen. It'll come back to you in a minute. I'll come back to me. Just jump, just say it when it comes back to you. (gasps) Found it, I remembered. I had a very short to-do list, a very short to-do list. Like it may say, make the beds and cook dinner because I had a longer to-do list that I'd have the whole week to do. But um, that day, what do I have to do today? And that's what I would try to focus on. That is excellent. And then sometimes like once a month, you would add shave your legs. You know what if I mean? Like when I had my second one, I'm like, that became a luxury. Are you kidding me or right now? wash my hair. Yeah, yeah, wash my hair. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. That's what baseball caps are for. Okay, Julia, we're gonna go to you. Can you give some examples of how to teach your child to have a growth mindset? Some examples of positive encouragement or how to respond when your child didn't perform as well or didn't do as well as you thought he or she could? Sure, sure. So growth mindset, again, is the belief that with effort, you can improve your talents or your skills. And I think if you think about Um, a baby learning to walk, it's the perfect example because you've never, well, rarely see a child who after falling 50 times says, you know what, this walking thing isn't for me. I'm gonna stop. They may go a little slower. They may crawl before they go back to walking, but they don't go to kindergarten crawling. They do it. And you, that's encouraging because we were all born with this way of thinking and you have parented to that as well. So you apply that kind of thinking to different things, to academics, to athletics or extracurriculars, to um, behavior. So for example, when you're praising, you wanna focus on the effort, not the outcome. So academic, you get a test, home, a test score of 95. Wow, you got a 95 on that test. Those vocabulary cards that we worked on together, they really helped. Or if you don't know how they studied, you ask them. What strategies did you use to master that subject matter? Athletically, buddy, I love watching you play. 
you worked so hard to make those catches. It's so neat to see the practice that you do in the backyard with daddy, where you jump on the trampoline for hours catching that football to come in and help you be successful in a game. So they connect the practicing in the yard to being successful in the game. A behavioral one. You, I know you didn't want to take that medicine because it tastes yucky, but you did it. You were able to keep focused on the ice cream that came next so that you could get that ice, that medicine down. Brilliant. I'm going to do that for myself. <laughs> I'm going to focus on the ice cream that comes next. Yes. We all, I mean, really, we all do have yes. strategies like oh, that. Oh, I think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I love, I, Julie and I are both right now obsessed with the growth mindset mm-hmm. and just how it applies to adults, how it applies to children and how we can, as parents, um, build that from the earliest ages before, just in our vocabulary that we right. use with our children who don't even yet speak. Just wait, it's right. coming next fall. Now, when there's a negative situation, like they didn't respond, or they didn't perform as well, you actually respond the same way, which takes some getting used to. Oh, you got a 75 on this test. What did you do to prepare for that? How did you get ready? Oh, what did you do differently for this test to prepare than you did for the one where you got a 95? And help them see that if they put more effort in, they can change the outcome. And that gives them hope that they can control the situation and they can make things better. Or athletically, oh, I loved watching you play today. You tried so hard to make those catches. And even though it didn't happen, what do you think was different about how you practice in the backyard with daddy than in the game? Oh, so what could you do to change the way you practice so that it better fits the needs that you have during the game? And of course, with all of these, you wanna make sure that your child is not upset because often they can be before when they don't perform as well as they think they should have. Um, Or behaviorally, let's say they threw a tantrum because they didn't wanna take their medicine. Just saying, that could happen. Um, And help them like, you know, after they're calm, I know you don't wanna take this medicine because it tastes bad, but your body needs it so it can get well. And then you insert something that they have struggled with that they've been successful with and help remind them that they have overcome things before. So um, maybe, you know, at dinner sometimes there's things on your plate you don't like. So how do you get those down? Or we play an Uno game that has blank cards on it and you can give your own dare and it's inevitably like eat a piece of frozen broccoli or something like that. So during that game, what did you do to get that down and help them see that they've done it before, they can do it again. Um, there is a lot of research out there and, and this, this way of thinking, um, if, you, if you don't quite buy into it and you wanna read some more about it, um, the book Mindset by Carol Dweck has a lot of the scientific information about brain neuroplasticity. Um, over the past few decades, they've learned that our, we really, our brains really can learn new things up until the very end of our lives. You really can teach an old dog new tricks. So if you want to learn more about that, Angela Duckworth has a book called Grit, and she's come up with a formula for success um, that it takes your, your natural skill times your effort, I mean, your natural talent times your effort gives you a skill, and then your skill with the effort that you apply to that at perfecting it gives you your achievement level. So effort is twice as important as what you're naturally born with. And then I always fall back on the biblical truth in Proverbs 14:23 that says, hard work always pays off. Wait, sometimes? Nope. Often? Nope. Always. And so through um, teaching your kids growth mindset, you're helping them see how that truth plays out in their life.
That's so great. And that is a life skill that goes far beyond academics, far beyond athletics, far beyond behavior. I mean, that is a, the tenacity to work on your marriage, the tenacity to, you know, you know work hard and achieve. I, I, I love it. I, I love it. I think it's, there's so much back to there. Thank you, Julia. Okay, Sherry, we're gonna jump to you. A mom said, my two-year-old knows how to clean, but pretends she cannot. She's a creative one. <laughs> do I start off positive um, and fun and move to stern, or do I start off stern? Like, just put your toys away. So you have five children, and how do you approach teaching those tasks to complete chores around the house, responsibilities? What's something that you do? I know you're super intentional with your kiddos, so we'd love to hear. Um, okay, well, I say first, I think we need to be uh, intentional about making sure that our expectation for our kid is age appropriate. For myself, having multiple ages, I think sometimes I fall into the trap of just expecting the younger ones to be able to do exactly what the older ones are doing. Um, so I think that's one thing. And I think you said, how do you teach? I think we need to remember just that, that we do have to teach these skills. So we may <laughs> think that innately our kids know how to do things like clean up or get dressed, but just like you would teach your kid to read, you have to teach your kid to do all of these responsibility tasks as well. And you actually gave us a strategy for that years ago, um, like a three-part process that is you do, do the skill for them, and then you do the skill with them, and then you move to letting them do the skill on their own. So just remember that it is a process and give them grace and encouragement through that. Um, I would also say regarding the two-year-old that's pretending, um, you said that the child knows how to do it. So if you are 100% sure that that child actually is capable of completing the skill, then really pretending not to be able to do it, I think actually falls under the category of being dishonest and being disobedient. So good, it's so true. Yeah, so I think that would have to be addressed. That being said, again, about the age appropriateness, check that because um, cleaning up is the example that you were using and I have an almost two-year-old and I think an appropriate expectation for her cleaning up is to clean up a small play area to pick up all of the toys and to put them into a single basket or toy box. Whereas the older kids, they can you know, move through the entire house, pick up all the toys and sort them into the correct toy baskets. So if you're expecting your two-year-old to do a skill that's maybe not age appropriate, two-year-olds don't have a whole lot of vocabulary. And so what looks like pretending, you just need to make sure I think that it's not actually her feeling overwhelmed. Or, or him or her, who I don't remember. But um, also, if there's a, a task that you're finding on a regular basis that you're struggling with because that child just doesn't like to do it, that may be another reason that they're pretending they, you know, good chance that they're pretending because they don't like it. I mean, I think we could all do that as adults. Um, and so if that's the case, um, I think there are some useful strategies. You said, do I use a positive phone tone or a stern tone? I think for sure positive fun tone. I think the more fun you can make these things, the better. Um, model that it's not so bad cleaning up. We love doing the dishes. This is so fun. <laughs> so much fun to clean up. Um, That's no, a really, really good offer. point to think about how you model, like what your face says 
when you're doing dishes or folding yeah. laundry or whatever. That's a really good yes. point. Yes, and, and I'm gonna be the first one to tell you I do not do a good job at that, but I can tell you. I, I don't know, clean up song. Yeah, a clean up song. But no, so that's um, make it fun, you know, lots of praise and rewards, even, you know, making games out of things. I know that when we were teaching our twins to clean up, uh, we turned it into a game. Well, I say a game. We would all huddle around in a circle and put our hands in and say, Team Morrow on three. One, two, three, Team Morrow. And then we would all do this like spin thing and we'd all run and hustle to clean up and everyone had their own, you know, age appropriate um, contribution to that. But um, so make it fun. And then also, uh, I think if we know that our kids are gonna dread a certain task, we can kind of set them up for a win by giving them sort of a countdown and even practice drills is what we do in our house. So uh, if I know, you know, I'm gonna use cleaning up as the example since that's what she used. If we know that our child doesn't like to clean up, to say, okay, so in 10 minutes, it's gonna be time to clean up. So what are you gonna say whenever I say it's time to clean up? Yes, ma'am, awesome, yes. What's your face gonna look like when, I, when you say that? And you know, they'll show a smile. Yes, that's exactly right. Okay, in five minutes, I'm gonna tell you it's time to clean up, okay? So tell me, whenever I say it, what are you gonna say? Yes, ma'am, yes, and, what you're, and so you do that. So at this point, they know very clearly what the expectation is, and they've actually practiced the appropriate response. So when you get to it, um, if they don't do it, it's very clear that they're, <laughs> they're disobeying because they've proven that they can. Which is a great point though. Um, it does take longer. It definitely takes longer to teach a two-year-old to clean up. It's quicker for me to clean up. It's easier for me, you know, and to be honest, there are some days when I'm like, you know, when I was like, my kids were 22 and 24, I don't really do this anymore. But, but when, when my kids were young, where I'm like, I'm gonna do it today. You know what, I can't. But then I understood today, you know, for the next several days, I'm gonna take the time to teach them because it is worth it in the long run. So that's a great point to make that there is a lot of effort that goes into it, um, but it is worth it in the long run when you see that it's a vital skill. That's a great point to make. And I think that's such a great point too, that it is an investment and recognize that we're not perfect. I mean, I'm the first one on a Saturday morning to be sleeping in and telling my kids, go feed, find a snack, feed yourself, you know, and they know the expectation is to clean up their trash, to put their pull-ups in the trash, to do their chores. But so often I wake up on a Saturday morning and I see a dirty pull-up there, I see trash and crumbs. And I'd love to say that I am super consistent, but on Saturday mornings, I'm tired. And so a lot of times I just pick it up and just go, oh my gosh, you're failing, you know? And you know what, am I ruining my kids? Probably not, you know, I, we have 18 years. So I'm, you know, maybe I'm delaying the process a little, but eventually, hopefully. Well, but you're trying not to lose your mind. Yeah. Like I the first question. Uh, no, that's already gone. That, that, that <laughs> done left on the building a long time ago. No, but I would say one more strategy that I, uh, I wanna point out is, I read about this, this is um, something that they do in Africa actually, where they, they don't keep track, they don't have actual clocks to keep track of time, but they, ha they use the um, when and then strategy. So uh, if you know that your child doesn't like to clean up or doesn't like to take a bath or doesn't like you know, what, getting dressed, whatever the task is, then you put on the back side of that a, a something that they do enjoy. For example, if, they, if you know that they like going outside to play or they like eating lunch, then you would say, okay, so when you're done cleaning up, we're gonna go out inside and play. Or when you're done cleaning up, then we're gonna eat lunch. So I think that can be helpful So when too. and then, I when love then. that. It's a reward system. I love that, I love it. Okay, Deanne, this one's for you. So this is from a uh, stepmom. 
If your husband allows you to parent and discipline his kids as a stepmom, should I proceed to do this or should I avoid always being the quote mean one? The kids are 15 and 23, but the 15 year old comes home every other weekend. So you are in a blended family. And so we'd love to hear how you handle discipline. What worked for you? Well, I think the short answer is yes. Um, certainly, I do think that it's important when you go into a marriage and you have a blended family, whether one spouse has children or both of them, you are walking into a situation where conversations need to be had on what the expectations are. But I think real important to, to note here is that discipline, in fact, should not equal the mean one. I think discipline Great is ab point. absolutely Great. a necessary tool that obviously we talk about in Fearless Mom. Discipline is something that we can use as a tool to guide and direct and to help um, create and raise children that are strong, independent, competent children, but also who God created them to be. So it's the vision. And then um, I became a stepmom when Reed was four, Kaylee was 11. And just that situation is a little complica complicated in itself. But I was the stepmom. Reed's mom was, is, is very involved. So I wasn't needed to be in that role and to play the mom. However, Russell on the other side, he was the, uh, he was, he adopted Kaylee. So he became her father. So her biological father is out of the picture. So you take all that information and you, uh, you look at the situation, the reality is, whether you're a blended family or not, un being unified as a couple is the most important thing. So what Russell and I did, knowing that, we were going to have Reed 50% of the time, Kaylee was gonna be in the picture, and we were going to parent together, it was important for us to make sure that we were on the same page. We knew we were gonna co-parent. We knew that we were both going to do it. We were gonna work together to discipline our children. And so although we failed miserably all the time, uh, but we knew that that's what we wanted to do. And so the other thing that we did and tried to do to the degree that is possible is to try to be as unified as possible with the other household, remembering that we have to keep the child in mind. And when we keep the child in mind, our job and our responsibility is to work as much as possible with the other household to have as many of the same things as possible. And the reality is, if that's not a possibility, it doesn't change what we do. We still do the same thing. We still set the expectations. We still make sure the children know what those expectations are so that we can parent out of that. And you talk about vision. We can parent out of the vision. Um, I do also wanna look at it from a different point of view because you were saying this, the, the person that asked the question had the 15 and the 23 year old, but I would love to speak actually from that because I actually was the 15 year old in, that went through this when I was in high school. So I actually have walked through this scenario as being the 15 year old. So my parents got a divorce when I was in high school and my brother and my sister were out of the house. So it was me there and that is a very difficult situation to go through. It doesn't matter what your age is, but it's a very difficult situation to go through as a child. And so keeping that in mind and understanding what that child is going through and what my mom and my stepdad did so brilliantly is they modeled that. So when they when she got married later and I was still in high school later later in high school, they were a very 
unified voice. They were very unified. They were very intentional. They were brilliant at taking the emotion out of the situation when they parented so that I, as the child, could have the emotion. So I was they able to so process. They were so wise in that, to give to, you the freedom to be the child. To be the child. And so I look back on that, and I also that had an effect in how I walked through this. But I just am so amazed at what they did intentionally that allowed me to be the child and process that, but them being unified. And I was, by the way, angry. My emotions were angry and irritated because my desire was that that would be my parents. I was, my desire as the child is that you really wanted your parents to be that, but that's not the reality. Didn't change what they did. It didn't change what they did. And now I'm 54 and I look back on that and I'm just like, wow, what they did, the consistency, the intentionality, the taking out the emotion was so powerful and it's foundational in us as a family for generations. It's been amazing. So valuable. Yes, what a legacy that you were able to use that. That's amazing. Okay, Ashley, we're gonna go back to you. Um, How do you combat the I'm not doing enough feeling? This mom of two kids uh, was saying she consistently feels like she should be doing more to teach them. This is such a great question because it doesn't matter where you are in your parenting journey. I can tell you that there are grandmothers and great-grandmothers who still think, you know, did I do enough? Am I doing enough now as a grandmother? And so I think it starts very early. Mom guilt is real. And how do you, what, what are your um, secrets to building yourself up and remembering that you are enough? Yeah, it's so good because it will always be when they're two years old, you're going to compare yourself to, you know, everybody else or what you are doing. You only do table time or toddler time one day a week, but they're going three days a week, you know, and just that whole thread through your mom journey will be that comparison will be the thief of steal your joy. And so you don't want that. It'll, and when they get older, you know, it's my kids are doing karate, sign language, Mandarin, and, you know, playing football on Sundays. It's going to always be something. So it's looking at your capacity. For me, it's looking at my capacity. You know, I'm actually confession in that rut right now. I've been really good about keeping our schedule simple, but I've allowed the semester to creep up on me and add an extracurricular. I have three children and usually, you know, with three children, I let them each do one sport and now we've added in a layer of piano and a layer of guitar well now you have two practices a week a game and three lessons and so I've realized ooh, my capacity needs to come back a little bit this way so it's a constant pendulum swing you I'm all Every season, I'm gonna check it, readjust, and and plan better for the future. But um, it is, and just being intentional with the time that I've given. I remember when they were little, it was when we go to the park, it was talking about, you know, all the little things God made, just trying to teach them to be intentional with the time that I have with them. Um, And then as they get bigger, you know, it's in the car. We have a lot of time together then, but... um, Those are kind of just making your pendulum, checking it always, you know, that shift. Yeah, and I think you made a great point there, like being in the car and looking at your calendar. It's another fearless mom principle of we don't wanna add to your to-do list. We wanna help you be intentional with what you're already doing. We wanna help you be intentional 
um, with the time that you do have with them. So let's say I'm a working mom and I'm like, oh, I, don't, I only see my kid three hours a day. We wanna help you be intentional. Okay, those three hours. Now, what can you be intentional about those three hours? Um, I remember when my kids, and I was a stay-at-home mom and I would think, you know, did I do anything today? Mac would come home and I would start reeling off everything I did and he goes, you know, honey, it's okay. You don't have to tell me everything you did today. And I would say, no, I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what I did today. So I think they're both ends of the spectrum there. And I think that's a struggle that we all have, but being intentional with the time that you do have and saying, praying in the morning, God, help me see today how I can be the best mom that I can be. And then go to bed at night. God, thank you for being there. And I'm gonna trust that you used that um, little tantrum I had somehow to build up my children and they are stronger tomorrow because of it. You know, he uses all things. We trust him in that. So that's great, great. And it goes back to the self-care too. I think that you talked about earlier. That's excellent. Okay, Julia. Um, now this is a great one. I have two small children, ages four and nine months. And my husband has always believed that we should both work outside of the home. Both my children have been in daycare since they were three months. I feel guilty that I'm not keeping them at home. Um, have you ever had your children in daycare and do you regret not staying home with them? Great question. Yes, I, I did have children in daycare. But first, I think I would say, uh, get on the same page as your husband. And it's hard to tell from this question. You may already be there. Um, but if you, uh, does your husband know that you feel this guilt? Because he should. And do you understand his why of why you should both be working? And are you on, can you get behind that? And if you can't, keep talking. And if you're not sure where to start, we're about to start a marriage series that's gonna get into communication and marriage, so tune in for that. But assuming that you have had that conversation, um, I want to repeat something that I think Julie said, mom guilt is real. Whether you're a working mom or a stay-at-home mom, you will experience it. And just pulling your kids out of daycare and staying at home with them is not likely to get rid of it. It's likely to just change the things that you feel guilty about. That's so, so good. wise, that's so good. So um, I think that, I forgot what, I, what all I was gonna share. I interrupted that you. That was good, you that can stop Ashley now. Ashley interrupted that you. Was okay, that was good, Ashley. So my kids were, um, my boys, I worked three days a week and so they went to daycare three days a week when they, starting when they were about four months old. And were there times that it was hard for me to wake them up at 6.30 in the morning when I knew they'd been up teething that night? Yes. Were there times that it was painful to let go of my crying child so that I could walk into a meeting about somebody else's child? Yes. But there were also awesome things that I was so grateful for in the daycare system. They had teachers one year who would put out big tarps in the room and strip them all down to their diapers and let them body paint. And by body paint, I mean paint with their bodies and on their bodies. I would have never done that in my house. <laughs> Sometimes that they had whipped cream pie fights on those tarps. Again, I would have never done that. And I'm so glad they had that experience. I was so grateful for the peer pressure when it came to pacifiers and potty training. I mean, to have another adult supporting you on that journey was amazing. And then to have the reward of going on a school bus for a field trip, I couldn't provide that. Um, but it was there. And so there are you know, positives and negatives, and it's all about um, understanding what works for you. As Julie said, I've been in education for a long time, um, and I have seen working moms who have rocked it, and I have seen stay-at-home moms who have rocked it. I have seen um, them both raise children that are strong academically, socially, emotionally. And I'm talking working moms who travel on a regular basis for their jobs, and, working, and then stay-at-home moms who rarely spend a night away. 
And I've also seen working moms and stay-at-home moms who have missed the mark. Working moms who send uh, the nanny to a parent-teacher conference because the nanny's really the one that's gonna have to deal with the things that you're sharing in this meeting. And I've seen stay-at-home moms who have given their kids so much attention that they've literally smothered them. And the child cannot do anything on his own. And really, she can't either. And so it's really important that you have those conversations with your husband and that you know what's best for you and your family. You understand your why behind it because it is time you can't get back. And so you do need to have those difficult conversations and really make sure that it's worth it. That's so, that's so excellent. And everybody's different. Everybody's Everybody different. is different. And, and we all have, and they're different seasons in and everyone's are. life and everyone's pot, family. When I had my third, I couldn't keep all the, the balls in the air anymore. And so she did not go to daycare. But guess what? Her brothers were old enough now that I still had to wake her up to take them to and from school. And her eating and sleeping schedule revolved around their activities. So it wasn't just, it's not just daycare that can interrupt a, a child's schedule like that. I mean, siblings alone can do that. Absolutely, so. I, that's so wise. But I think communication with your husband is the key. So I would just always go back to that. It's great. Okay, Sherry, this one's for you. How do you avoid escalating to screaming at your child? I tell my 11-year-old to go to his room and his tantrum grows. After repeating myself, I scream at him, which then frightens him and the other children. I don't know how not to yell when my kids refuse to follow instructions after I've asked them 10 times. There was another question about when a, a mom and a daughter both have you know, strong oppositional personalities. Um, so I'd love to know from you what strategies you put in place um, to keep from yelling, or is there something that you plan before you get to that point? Um, and, and look, we've all yelled. I'm gonna go ahead and say that even, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and speak for all you guys. You've yelled at your kids. I mean, sometimes I want to see emotion from them. I want, <laughs> I want them to be a little scared. It's appropriate. Joseph would say to me, You're scaring me, mommy. And I would say, That is appropriate. <laughs> That a fear is what I want you to feel. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that was Sherry actually is now first. going to give this brilliant answer, and I'm going to feel like I'm no, so I feel exactly the same way. In fact, that's what I was going to say. Is how do you avoid? And I'm was going to say, you know, most of the time I don't avoid. I mean, I can tell you. Um, you know, probably what we should do and kind of maybe what might be going on, but we all can fall into that. So don't feel bad about it. Um, for myself, when I find myself yelling, I think it's because of just that, just what you said. I think it's because I've actually asked so many times and not gotten the response that I'm becoming frustrated. And so that brings me to the yell. Um, again, that goes back to expectations, setting the bar and guarding the bar. Because if the expectation is the first time I say it, you obey it, then really, there shouldn't be a second time I say it. If they have not obeyed the first time, then really a consequence should follow the second time. Um, I think it can be really deceiving though, because sometimes we actually do feel like our children do listen better when we yell. And that's because I've asked nicely five times, I haven't gotten a response. So then I yell and then they jump up and kick it into high gear. Well, the truth is, it's not that they're listening better when we yell, it's that I think probably unintentionally, we've taught our children that we're going to accept that behavior until we yell. So when we come to that place and we realize that that's happening, that's when it's time for a reset. And I have to do this on a regular basis. I do find myself yelling. And so for me, it's a two-step two uh, reset process. Number one is to own my part. So 
I'm sorry, mama should not have yelled at you. I'm sorry for that. I was frustrated and I handled my frustrations in the wrong way. I'd like to make it right moving forward. And so then we revisit the expectation and the consequence so that we're on the same page. So uh, next time when I ask you to do something, it's going to be the first time I say it, you obey it. That does not mean the first time I yell it or even the first time I say it with a mean tone. It's however I say it, the first time I say it, you obey it. And if there if you do not obey, then there will be a consequence. Also, I think when you are giving a consequence, it doesn't have to be in anger. So I'm, I'm thinking of the child that you've asked to go, go to their room and they don't go the first time you say. I think we actually get a lot farther with love and compassion. Like, oh, buddy, I am so sad that you chose not to obey the first time I said it. So now you're gonna have this consequence, X, Y, Z, whatever it is. So now I'm gonna ask you, and I know that this time you're gonna make a good choice so that you don't have to get extra consequences. And then you ask again. And if you may have to just pile consequence on consequence on consequence on consequence, but that just goes back to rinsing and repeating and <laughs> just digging your heels in and not giving up because it can be really hard, I know. And can you give us an example real quick about what you mean by consequence? Like, so you have five and they all have different personalities. So what would you say when you say, go to your room and the child doesn't go, then what would be an example of a consequence that you would give? Well, I think age-appropriate consequences. Um, I know not all people believe in spanking, but um, for our children, uh, especially the young ones, we do use that as a consequence. Um, for the older kids, you know, it, not obeying right away would be disobedient. And so we use a lot now of writing as consequences. So they would have to write down what the defi definition of obeying is, or we have like animals associated with each character trait. So like the obedient wood duck. So they would have to go read about it and then tell me like what- Of course you have that way. Well, could you repeat that? You've got animals associated with character traits. Yes, we do. <laughs> so it's part of the what you teach your kids. We're just gonna have to have a whole session, maybe a weekend with Sherry and, and her parenting strategies. Um, uh, it's brilliant. And, and I've heard her kids, she's trained them and they can repeat the character traits. And when they do something well, she uses it with positive and negative. I can't remember what one of them, I think it was Waylon, he told you something that he had done. He said he was an honest lion. And you said, yes, can you tell me what character trait? Cause he was saying what happened at church on Sunday. And he said, what happened? And she said, can you tell me what character trait? I was an honest lion. I was like, yes, you were buddy. <laughs> How empowering was that? That's amazing. We may have to get you to write all those down. It's amazing. Okay, so um, Deanne, I'm gonna go to you now and poke myself in my eye with my glasses. Okay, um, so this one, how do I parent through an unwanted divorce when kids have a hard time emotionally, but so do you? Um, we also got a question about a mom who is dealing with a child who has an illness. And so the mom is dealing with being sad for the child and then helping the child process the sadness as well. So. If we combine the two and go, how do, you, um, how do you process your own grief, your own sadness, your own anger, your own frustration while teaching that to your child and, and you know, helping them grieve or be sad as well? 
Well, I think it, I mean, you just, it's hard. I mean, divorce is hard. Watching your child go through something is hard. I think that that's one of the hardest things that we can do as parents is to, to watch your children and know that your children are going through something and to be available to them. I think um, in a divorce, whether or not it's something that you wanted, whether it's something you didn't want, um, just on itself, it's a very difficult process to go through. And then you add kids into the picture. Emotionally, it's very, very difficult. But I think if there's anything that you would remember about me saying today, I think it is so important, I'm pretty passionate about it, is that we cannot allow our kids to be our sounding board. Um, and so through that, I'm gonna that ask whole, you to repeat that yeah. sentence. We cannot la allow our kids when we are walking through a divorce to be our sounding board. And that's so difficult so because we are dealing with so much emotion. I mean, when I was walking through a divorce, my goodness, I was walking through the divorce from my standpoint, but then I had a three-year-old daughter at the, at the time. And so I had to identify that she's also walking through this. So what I had to do is take the emotion out of it, which I talked about earlier, and um, you take the emotion out of it so that you can be the parent they need to be to walk through this so they can be the child to walk through the divorce. And so for me with, um, I forgot what I was gonna say, help. I don't know. I mean, I could say some words, but I don't know if it would be what you were going to say. It's probably. It no, probably but I be. do think, I think that is so critical to allow the child to be the child yes. and you be the parent, which is difficult. So who it's was your sounding board? Is that where you were well, going? Well, that, yes. Thank you. Um, so How I did so, you know she that? She did it, Julie. God. Way to go, Julia. Thank you. Thank you. Julia Fortman knows oh. all, FYI. It's so awesome. No, but my I did have sounding boards. I had a counselor. I went to counseling. I had incredible parents that, that walked through it with me. I had friends that would speak into me and um, allow me to vent and help me to heal through this process. And so that was my outlet. That was what I needed to do for me to start healing in a way that was healthy, as healthy as possible. And then it would allow me to uh, parent Kaylee and allow her to be the child through that. So there were certain things in, in um, our situation where every situation is different, but for mine, there were uh, court documents and proceedings that uh, actually uh, said that Kaylee could not no longer be with her biological father because of choices he'd made. He had failed a drug test. And so legally, I was not able to get, uh, give her to him for her protection. And so I had to have conversations with her. And so um, through all of that process, I would give her age-appropriate um, information that allowed her to process it without emotion from my standpoint so she could process it with emotion from her standpoint and be able to ask questions that she wants to ask and process. And then I answered just enough to satisfy the answer. And so I think that's just, that's important. The same thing with the health issue. I think that you hear them, you identify with them, you listen to them, um, their feelings are very real, and uh, you just have compassion for them. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I'm here to help you as much as possible. And you try to take the emotion out of it and not place your fears upon the child. 
Which is so important, which again takes you back to then who is your sounding board and who are you talking to? Because as a mom, I know that my emotional health, my physical health, my spiritual health is vital if I'm going to establish emotional health and and grow that in my children. And so I have to take the time, I have to be aware enough that, you know what? I need to process this with a professional so that I can then help my child. And I don't mean just going to a professional that's gonna give me the words to say my child. I'm talking about like, me going to a counselor for me, and then you know helping my child with that, taking my child to a counselor as well. And I think it's important um, to understand that the reality is um, you need to work, or we need to work as hard as we possibly can to respect the role of the other parent. Um, we may not agree. I could have said a million terrible, horrible things about uh, Kaylee's biological father. I was not perfect. I did not do things correctly. But the, the reality is we need to respect the role that they are the parent. They are actually still involved in their life. And so we can, if we parent from that, it doesn't mean we are proving the behavior. It just means we're respecting the role. And it goes back to what you said earlier, letting the kid be the kid. Like understanding this is not age appropriate. I'm the mom. I need to stay the mom. And I, that goes for everyone. I think when you talk about finances in front of your children, when you talk about anything, you know, your marriage, you know, um, we have to remember that our children are still the children. I mean, I'm almost 50 and my mom and dad are still my mom and dad. And and my mom respects that. She's, they're the parents and I'm the child. If my mom needs a sounding board, she's going to find a peer. She'll find her own. You know, I'm not the sounding board. I think that's forever. And I, I think that goes a long way. That, that is excellent. Um, okay. So we are, I've got one more. We're running out of time and I've got so many questions. Okay, Joy, I'm going to hit the, you real quick. Um, what is the proper age to allow kids on social media and how can we prevent the rise in depression and anxiety that is linked to social media and young girls? And you know, as well as I do, there's also a lot of research about what it does to boys video games and all of that. So tell me um, from your experience with your children and from what you've studied, how do you handle that? Okay, I I see you lifting up your pens. You want the magic age. You want the magic number, don't you? There's not one. And it's frustrating. Anybody out there with boys on Fortnite? Ay, ay, ay. Um, I think it's important um, that you know the research and be careful because there are a lot of um, headlines and of articles that come through that are very inflamed. They, they cause an emotional response and you read through them and it's really just somebody's opinionated blog post. So I think you have to be careful about what the source of your information is and that you go to a trusted source like the American Academy of Pediatrics or Psychology Today and you read what the studies are showing um, and you understand after you learn what they're showing, how does that line up with your goals for your family? How does that line up with your vision for your children? And if it's not lining up, then you make some changes. And so uh, if, if the studies are showing that for the majority of people who are using these things, outcomes are different than what you want for your kids, don't be afraid to do things differently than the majority of the people out there, the, the parents oh, out there. Oh, say that sentence again, Julia. Don't be afraid to do things differently than the majority of the parents that are out there if you want your outcome for your children to be different than what's happening for the majority of children. Um, and trusting that your, your vision for your family is solid um, and believe in it. And so if you're, you're out there with, with teens that you realize we're gonna have to make some changes in our family and this is gonna be hard, my, my advice is just do it. Just sit down and say to them, 
You know, we set up these rules before I learned X. And now that I know X, we're going to do things differently because I want the outcome to be different for you. And it's going to be a transition for us. It's going to be hard, but we are gonna get through it. Maya Angelou, I think it was Maya Angelou who said, um, forgive yourself for what you didn't know before you learned it. But once you know better, do better. And so you can really model that for your kids. That is excellent. And, and that transcends social media. That oh, yes. is your philosophy about TV, your philosophy about sports, your philosophy. What are your family values? God, give me the vision for our family and give us the courage to be different. Give us the courage to be different. Everybody wants to make a difference, but nobody wants to be different. Yes. It's so true. That's so empowering. Yeah. yeah. And I love how Julia said the vision and like you just repeated it because like my family knows there's a lot of things that we won't do or we do differently and that's okay. You know, so there, it just becomes the fabric of our conversation, you know, and just building it in like, you know, that, that might be a great choice for them, but you know, we're not going to choose to do that or we're going to do something else differently. And you and do it, a great job of using it. I think Ashley to teach a family value, you're not comparing yourself to another family and going, they do that. We're, you say, you know what? We've decided that in our family, this is going to be important to us. Absolutely. And it really becomes not even a deal. You know, right. I, when you bring them on your team and you're like talking about it, like we won't play sports on Sunday morning because one of our things for our vision and for our family is we go to church as a family on Sunday morning. That's a non-negotiable. So we're not gonna spend the night out Saturday night. And your friends are, and I understand that. If there's a party, you can stay till nine or later. I'll come pick you up. But that's a non-negotiable for our family. But that's what works for us. And so just knowing things that you're not gonna compromise on. And they really, your children are amazing. And they're like all for it. They see you as a team together. And I think that that's what builds the communication too, you know, is showing them that you value their opinion and some things we're gonna do, some things we're not gonna do. But, but I, I think you and Julia both used uh, the word we. This is what we are gonna do and we can do this together. It's reminding your child that he's part of a team that she's part of a team and we're all in this together. It, it's a team effort. We do this together. This is not, you're not gonna do that anymore because you're doing this. It's not you, it's we. And, and you both use that term. I think that's so important. And I think we have to be intentional about telling our children that we have their best interests in mind, that we're not just making these rules up to be mean or to limit them or, and that's how it feels to them. So we have to take time to say, I'm doing this because I want the best for you. That's so great. Okay, I've got one more and then I'm gonna ask you guys to chime in. I'm gonna ask Ashley first. Um, Ashley, how did or how do you, and I think this is so funny that it comes right after what we just said, but how did or how do you keep your kids talking to you? How do you develop open communication, you know, over the years? Yeah, that's such a great question, you know, and I, um, I was actually asked my fifth grader yesterday, I said, hey, do you feel like you can tell me anything? And he was like, yeah, because I trust you. And I thought, well, that's so interesting. Good. So then I thought, well, how, how does he trust me, you know? And it's out of the relationship that we built. And I remember like, you know, Julie has another great sticky sentence. It's rules plus relationship build trust. And so that trust builds in that opportunity when they're little to play games and to know that you're not always gonna win and we're developing a relationship. I have fun with you, you know, and it keeps communication open, um, letting them know I value their opinion. So we talked about like how we model it a lot in our family. 
you know, we'll have, when they're little, you know, you can ask them their opinion. Like, hey, do you want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or do you want a grilled cheese? Start giving them options within what, you know, you want them to. And they hear, um, I, we let them be a part of matinized conversations or just listen to them if we're discussing what we're gonna do on the weekend or, or where we wanna go on family vacation. Just allowing them to give their input as they get older, you know, and they understand that, we get to make the final decision, but I wanna hear what you wanna do. And so it, just the whole team, so it was the modeling it, and I do a lot of, we do a lot of listening. You know, my, um, my middle child, it, you know, can be a man of few words, and so he has an older brother who, you know, talks all the time, and a younger sister who talks all the time. So when he is like, hey, like actually yesterday, he said, um, hey mom, can I talk to you for a second in private? He's my second grader, and I'm like, absolutely. I go into his room and all he wanted to do was talk about his day. So it may come once a month. I love though that he knew enough what? to say, oh, can we talk in, in private? private? Because the other two would have been chiming in. He wanted your full Absolutely. attention. Yes. I love yes. that. And it makes me realize like each one of my children is gonna communicate to me differently. And so understanding how they communicate for him, when he's, when he's ready to communicate, I need to be ready and available to listen. And so just being able to listen to them all, I think all of those things have, have helped us keep you know, healthy communication within our family. Having a fifth grader that feels comfortable enough to tell us everything, and, and I know there'll be bumps and seasons in the road where we'll need to readjust, but um, I think that builds it in. Well, I think also building that trust is Building that trust is telling them the good and the bad or where they miss the mark. And so when, you, when they know that you're gonna tell them that and hold them to the rules and accountable and all of those things that you do, slowly the trust just continues to build because they know they're gonna, you're gonna speak truth. You're not gonna always be saying, oh my gosh, you did amazing. Or you're so awesome when they're not. I mean, they miss the mark. And so I think it's important to let them know the wins and where they can improve so that the trust is actually built along the way. So good, it's a lot of the conversation like, hey, how did that make you feel? What would you do differently next time? How did that make them feel? You know, all of those just questions after you listen or thre threaded through the conversation, you know, you just get them thinking and that, that's empowering to them. I, I totally agree. Sherry, your kids are younger. And so tell me what you're doing now because you're intentional about everything you do. Tell me what you're doing now to build that trust because you've got them across the board. You know, they're all young. Right, well, I, I totally agree with, with what they said. And like Ashley said about building that relationship, I think that that's huge and that's vital. And part of building that relationship is listening to your kids. When they're young, I mean, let me just tell you, the things that my children want to talk about are not the most fascinating, interesting things. <laughs> I'm not sure what y'all think, but they are not. And so I have to be really intentional about being invested in whatever it is that they want to talk about because somebody told me it was actually a construction worker that came over to our house one time and he had a bunch of kids and I said, what would, you know, you've got a lot of kids, what would be your, your advice? And he said, listen to them now because if you don't listen to them when they wanna talk to you now, then when they get older and you want them to talk to you, they're gonna be so used to you not listening that they're not gonna talk to you. So that really stuck with me and I'm, I just try to be really intentional about listening, building the relationship, um, she had great, they had great ideas about how to build that relationship. We play a lot of games in our house and just make them feel like they're 
loved and part of a team and have a purpose and that we're all in this together and make them feel safe in your, in your home. Like, they, like you say, I'm safe, I like it here. And we really try to build that culture and feeling to where they feel like they can open up. That's such a great point. Go ahead, Ashley. I was You're just going to say, totally. And that whole, the relationship, but it's the rules too. They know our expectations. So it's not being their best friend. Right. And just how important that is. They know that we have expectations in our family and, and for them and to make them grow. And so it's just that, it's that marriage of both of those, the rules plus the relationship, build the trust. Yeah, so somebody good. told me one time, or I don't know if I read this or something, but a good test of that is when you discipline with a, po- with a negative consequence for your children, they should not get angry with you. So if your child is getting, it's, it's one thing to be upset about the consequence, but if they turn away from you when, when you're giving them a negative consequence, something is wrong. You need to readdress, you know, look at the situation. And work on the relationship. And a lot of times people will say, you know, I have a teenager and my teenager um, doesn't like me. We can't, you know, we're just totally, we're not, you know, we're not talking. We, we can't do anything right um, what do I do now? And I go, at that point, I think you go, what can I do to work on the relationship? Let The discipline will come, but what can I do? What choice can I make now? What is he interested in? What is she interested in? Where does she like to go eat? What does he like to watch on TV? Let me just focus. Let me do what I can to work on that relationship because the relationship is forever. Mm-hmm. The rela- is. That behavior is a season. And the each, relationship is forever. And each child is different. So my youngest will get in the car and spill everything about her day. And my um, older, her middle son, middle son, her middle brother will be like, does she do this every day? Said, yes, she does. She says more than, how was your day? Good. What was good about it? Nothing bad happened. What'd you do? Stuff. What kind of stuff? Things. And oh, so, Joe's totally was, you know, how was your day today? Great. What was so great about it? Nothing bad happened. Right. Period. Every day. Every day. But if he says to me, mom, will you come throw the ball in the yard with me? I will go throw the ball in the yard with him because that is where he will tell me about everything that happened during his day. And my oldest son, if I come alongside him, if we do something together, that's where he will share uh, his time, but, or he will share what's on his mind. But asking him one-on-one, how was your day? What'd you do? It, it's a little more intimidating than if you're working side by side. So you just pay attention to their personalities too and what works for them. And, and, and ask God, God, show me. Open my eyes to opportunities today. Open my eyes. I can't figure her out. Can you please show me? I want to learn her. I want to know what I, I and ask him and, and, and be patient. And this is a process. That parenting is a process. And it starts before you have children. It starts before you have children. You begin setting the tone in your home. You develop the culture in your home. Actually, perhaps even before you get married, you said, what kind of home do I want? What kind of man do I want to marry? Now you're married. What kind of culture? What feeling do I want in my home? I'm home. I'm safe. I like it here. The discipline is necessary. The games are necessary. Understanding your children, necessary. Being on the same page with your spouse, all of it's necessary. It's overwhelming. You're like, I don't know if I can do all that. You can, you can. You can do all of it one day at a time. 
One choice at a time. You can do it if God commands you, if he calls you to it, he will equip you for it. He will give you what you need. Is it overwhelming? Of course it is. If you're not overwhelmed, you're not really looking at your responsibility. Because what do we say in here? The appropriate response when you consider motherhood is to vomit in your mouth a little bit. And you swallow it and you keep going. And you go, today is a new day. Today, I will just work on the relationship with my child. Today, I will just work on the relationship with my husband. Today, I will just work on my relationship with God. Today, what's your one thing? That today I can do one thing. I can do one thing. Tomorrow I'll shower. Today I will, you know, pick your one thing. It's a little bit at a time. One choice at a time to build up this home to be all that God desires it to be. And he gave you the children that you have on purpose. You are exactly the mother that your child needs. You're the right mother. And he's going to show that to you when you trust him. And these moms, look, I'm certain that I know I have at some point gone, what is happening? My degree is special education. I am trained in behavior management. And I would cry and go, I have no idea what I am doing. And then I would go, one more day, one more day. That's what our prayer is for you. And so we're gonna pray together. First, let's thank these moms so much. Thank you guys so much for sharing with us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the gift and the responsibility of motherhood. We thank you, God, that we can trust you to fill in the gaps, not if, but when we fall short. We are grateful that we serve such a big God, a God we can trust and a God that we know will use everything, everything for God's glory and for our good. We ask right now, God, that you hover over every family represented, every family listening, watching, every family in this room, and that you give us what we need today to be the moms we were created to be. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. And let's give Julie a big hand for facilitating our conversation. Thank you, Julia. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, um, that was a lot to take in. And so we're going to take a few minutes to process it all and to think about what we've just heard from everyone that was up here. In your spirals, you will see um, there's a cute page where there are some bubbles with some sentence starters if you want to organize your thoughts like that. Or you can flip to the next page with, where there's some blank space for a self-reflection. And um, if you're watching online or you forgot your spirals, just remember you can grab anything that you have handy to write on. Um, don't let the materials keep you from, a lack of materials keep you from this time to reflect. Um, so as the music comes on, just a reminder, we will stop to think and pray, asking God to show us things as they really are. We will evaluate ourselves, our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviors. Then we'll make a list. What did you hear today that you wanna implement? We'll write that down. What did you hear that you don't wanna forget that you wanna write down? And, um, and then we will commit to the fight, um, to actually putting these things into place when we walk out of these doors and get back into our lives. So when the music comes on, you'll have about two minutes. And if you're watching online or with a group, um, have somebody set that two-minute timer for you. Um, so that you know when to stop. If you will, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the, the moms who courageously submitted their questions, sharing what was weighing on their hearts. Thank you for the moms that were up here sharing their advice and their wisdom, not because they did it all right, but just so that someone can learn from what they've done. 
God, in these next two minutes, please calm our hearts. Please settle our minds so that we can see things as they really are and we can find the things that we wanna implement so that we can become more of the moms you've called us to be and we can raise our children so that they're ready for the plans that you have for them. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.